0: So, Lord, we look to you, standing on a throne, as if you had just been slaughtered, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would preach, and that you would even use us to do it. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the end. This is not the start of the millennium. We'll talk about that eventually. But here, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God, and he will reign forever and ever. This is the end of all things including space and time as we experience them. By now, you should have this picture emblazoned in your brain. In the Revelation, there are all these series of sevens, just like the seven days of creation. And on the seventh day, which is the seventh age, which is eternal, everything is good. And it is finished. Each time we get to 7, we come to the end of chronos, chronological time. And you remember that John is like, he's watching watching this revelation. Remember, he's watching it from eternity. And now he's watched the Lamb on the throne unwrap the seven seals. And he's heard the seven trumpets sound as they sounded on the Day of Atonement. He's watched the walls of this world come tumbling down, just as those walls came tumbling down when Joshua and the priest, blew the seven trumpets the seventh time around the city on the seventh day and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down this is the end the telos the perfection this is what the story is all about we are about to see the reason for all of this pain and suffering verse 16 and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worship God saying we give thanks to you Lord God Almighty who is and who was and not to come because he's, he's there, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Now, we're going to read about folks being judged and rewarded in chapter 20, but here in chapter 11, it's already happened. God has destroyed the destroyers of the earth. That's Satan, but, but not just Satan. Who are the destroyers of the earth? Destroyers of the earth. Well, who is supposed to take care of the earth? I mean, like did God ever appoint someone to take care of the earth like a gardener might be appointed to take care of a, of a garden? And this word for destroy, diaphthero, it's used just a few times in the Bible, twice by Paul in this form. And check this out, it's used of, of people. In 1 Timothy 6, 5, it's used of people that think godliness is a means of gain. Can you imagine that? That'd be people like they would take the knowledge of good and evil in order to make themselves in the image of God, as if um, we could justify ourselves and gain the kingdom of heaven. Someone that thinks this way has a destroyed mind is what Paul is saying. The other place Paul uses the word diaphthero is 2 Corinthians 4:16. Though our outer man, nature, is wasting away, diaphthero, getting destroyed. Don't know if you noticed that, but that's what's happening. Our inner man is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary tribulation is the word, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we know that if this tent, this tabernacle, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heaven So He's saying that our old selves have to get tribulated and destroyed in time so we can receive a new self, eternal in the heavens. A temple that is capable of housing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Revelation 11, the destroyers are destroyed, and God has taken his great power and begun to reign. How did that happen? I mean, we didn't see any great battle or apocalyptic battle or or anything. And what is God's great power? I think we all imagine that God's great power is something like this, you know, that he makes people kind of the way we make paper dolls. Have you ever made a paper doll, you know, like this? We make it out of paper, and God, you know, he makes us out of dust, and we can make things out of dust. For instance, a computer is made out of dust it's something that we can make we think God's great power and glory is that he kind of he kind of makes people like this like we would make paper dolls you ever done this and then and then he speaks he he speaks to the people that he has made he speaks his word and he issues the law I said dance uh, for me I, I want you to dance uh, dance for me if you don't you suck at dancing if you don't dance if you don't dance for me you will see my power and my glory dance okay okay all right you're pretty you're pretty bad at that so witness my power and my glory <laughs> yeah yeah now you know who has the power and who has the glory that's right that's right that's right that's that's right that's right that's. Is that God's power and glory? I mean, if that's, whoops. (laughs) I know, Susan, she's always, anyway. Talk about her later. But is, is that God's power and glory? If that's God's glory, I'm scared. And I will dance for him, but I, I, I won't dance well. What is God's great power and glory? Revelation eleven fifteen, the seventh and final trumpet sounds. Fifteen through eighteen is what has happened. Uh, what has happened, and now. 19 the climax of big reveal the reason for all the pain and suffering of this world the reason for all the tribulation of space and time drum roll please okay you can do that you know how to do a drum roll okay this is it the drum roll get the dr- louder 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 Verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Ta-da! 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 You know, this is the fourth time that we've read this. And you may still be thinking, okay. They found the lost furniture. What's the big deal? We ask that question because we did not pay attention in Sunday school. We're biblically illiterate, but thanks to Steven Spielberg, now we know. The lost art. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do, what do you mean Ten mean? Commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the... the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Do you guys ever go to Sunday school? Well, I... Oh, well, look. The Hebrews took the broken pieces and put them in the Ark, and when they settled in Canaan, they put the Ark in a place called the Temple of Solomon. In Jerusalem. Where it stayed for many years. Until all of a sudden, whoosh, is gone. Where? Well, nobody knows where or when. What does this ark look like? Uh, There's a picture of it right here. That's it. Good God. Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. Uh. Now what's that supposed to be coming out of there? Lightning. Fire. Power of God or something. You need to understand Hitler's interest in this. Oh, yes. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. army that carries the ark is invincible. That means that they always conquer. That's what this book is all about, remember? Uh, Jesus said to the seven churches seven times, to the one who conquers, I grant the tree of life in the paradise of God. Uh, The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That's the death of death. The one who conquers hidden manna and a new name. To the one who conquers authority over the nations and the bright morning star. That's Venus and Jesus. To the one who conquers white robes and the book of life. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of the living God. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. That's also his father's throne. That's the throne of God. That's big. How do we do that? How, how do we conquer? We need the ark. The army that carries the ark is invincible. Of course Hitler wanted the ark. Of course each one of us wants the ark. The one that carries the ark is invincible. The one that carries the ark has free will. Free will. I mean, whatever that one wills will happen. And whatever that one does not will won't happen. The ark of the covenant is like the ultimate example of this thing that we loosely call free will. The dictionary defines freedom as the power to act, speak, or think without hindrance or restraint. So a free will would be a will that wills without restraint. A will that wills what it wills without being determined by any other will. We all seem to want free will. And yet we're a little, we're a lot terrified of free will. And worst of all, we, we really don't even know what it is. I mean, we imagine what it does, but we don't stop to consider what it is. I read about this Irish prisoner who escaped from prison by burrowing, tunneling under the prison walls. He came up in this playground with little children all around him playing. He he was so excited, he began jumping up and down in the air, screaming, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. This little girl who was standing there, she looked at him with disdain and said, that's nothing. I'm four. <laughs> so who's free? Who's four? What is it to be free? What's free will? I'm proud to be an American because at least I know I'm free. Are you? Is freedom the ability to choose between Coke and Pepsi at 7-Eleven? Is that free will? Is random choice freedom? In other words, is chaos freedom? Or is that bondage? What is free will? You know, American Christians, in particular, defend God with free will. When folks ask why is there suffering in, in the world, we say, "Oh, well, God, because we got, we got free will. Or how could a good God send people to, to hell? We say stuff like, well, God won't violate our, 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 our free will. We have free will, uh, we, we like to say. God won't violate our, he, he won't, end, he, he won't violate our free will as if God would endlessly abdicate his will to our will. He won't violate our free will. And yet for 2,000 years, Christians have debated as to whether or not we actually have free will. Did you know that? Some say we don't have free will we're predestined that's actually a, a lovely thought for it means that we don't save ourselves god saves us and yet it's also a rather horrifying that we're we're like robots and if there is an endless hell god must have created some people for nothing but torture and so other people say well we're not predestined we have free will and, and you see, that's a lovely thought, for it means that we're, we're not robots, we're persons capable of love, and yet it's also a horrifying thought, because none of us seem to be capable of saving ourselves. That is living a life of perfect love. We, we, we just can't bear the responsibility. In fact, that's kind of what the whole Old Testament is about. So scripture claims that apart from a miracle, we're a slave to sin, and actually dead in our trespasses and sins. In which case, God cannot violate our free will because we don't have one. And yet, we've read the law. You will love. And it's impossible to love without free will. So for 2,000 years, we've debated, fought wars, divided the church over free will. And get this, the term free will as such can't even be found in a good English translation of the Bible, isn't that weird? Now there's a reference to free will offering in the Old Testament, but the word uh, is really one word and it refers to our will and really nothing about it being free, and yet there must be a word, there must be a word somewhere in the Bible that describes what we mean by free will. Sometimes when I hear people talking about free will, I think to myself, wow, that sounds like heaven. Sometimes when I hear people talking about free will, I think to myself, holy crap, I think they're talking about hell. So let's think for just a minute about this thing that we call free will. That is a will that wills what it will without restraint. The restraint of other wills. For a slave that That sounds like heaven, right? I mean, think about Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt. They they thought freedom from the will of Pharaoh was the promised land. And yet God had a far greater freedom in mind for the Israelites. Free will is a will not constrained by anyone else's will. Societies constrain individual wills with a corporate will called the law. It was Sigmund Freud who wrote the seminal work, the book Civilization and Its Discontents. And in it, he showed how civilization is really founded upon the repression of the will. It's dependent upon uh, people saying something like this to themselves. I will to sleep with my neighbor's pretty wife. But I will repress that will, my will, to the corporate will, the law. Repress. Do you think we'll be repressed in heaven? The promised land? You know, I think most people... Think we will because they have a hard time even conceiving of anything else. Paul wrote, for freedom Christ has set us free. Let us not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he's talking about the law. But the law isn't just Ten Commandments written on stone. You know, whenever you think I should, whenever you should on yourself, whenever you think I should, you're probably referencing a law written on your heart. And by the way, the prophets claim that the human heart is made of stone until God performs a miracle. The law is upon your heart, but one day it will be within your heart, prophesies Jeremiah. And he also says that on that day, no one will look for the ark. They won't even think about it anymore. Well, anyway, whenever you think I should, you're referencing a law impinging upon your heart and thereby admitting that your heart is not free. Now, this is a great irony, but what we normally mean by freedom of choice is not a free will, but actually the bondage of the will. That's the the term Luther coined, the bondage of the will. As soon as you begin, think about it, as soon as you begin to deliberate between choices, you recognize that you are not one will, but you're deliberating between two wills. Make, make sense? When is a dancer most free? When she consciously chooses each step, thinks to herself, oh, I could put my foot there, oh, I could put my, I could put my, I should put my foot here. Is she most free when she deliberates about each step uh, When she consciously chooses each step or or is she most free when she's not even conscious of making a choice because it's like the choice is making her uh, For it has become like her nature when her body is in Communion with the logos or the logic the, the rhythm of of the dance Soren Kierkegaard wrote this freedom which equally well chooses the good or the evil Is nothing but an abrogation of freedom and a despair of any explanation of it. That is, freedom is not deliberating between good and evil, and if you do, it just reveals that you don't really know what either one is or isn't, and you're not free. Emphasizing freedom of choice as such means the sure loss of freedom, writes Kierkegaard. Freedom really is freedom only when in the same moment it rushes with infinite speed to bind itself freedom is the choice whose truth is that there can be no choice i think that means that the dancer is truly only free when she dances without thinking about her dancing but is solely surrendered to the rhythm the logos of the music or think of it this way have you ever experienced a moment in which you suddenly thought to yourself, oh, wow, there, there is no other place I'd rather be. There is no other time in, in which I'd, I'd, I'd rather be. I mean, maybe it's a moment when your kids sing you a song. Parents, you know this with little kids, you've had this moment. Or maybe it's a moment making love to your bride. Maybe it's that moment that you take a bite of like that incredible pizza, you know, when you're just super, super hungry. But in that moment you think there's no other place I'd rather be than right here, right now. It's perfect rest. But it doesn't mean that you're doing nothing. You're actually doing something. In fact, you're really doing something. You're doing what you absolutely want. And you are wanting what you do absolutely. So you think there's no other place that I'd rather be than right here, right now. I completely will to be right here, right now. You see, I think that's free will. And for a will that's entirely free, time stops. What I mean is, Kronos is no more. It's eternity now, it's heaven on earth. It's absolute joy, no place else I'd rather be. And so of course we try to choose it, right? You've had that moment, and then the thing you tried to do was choose it. You tried to seize hold of it, you tried to control it, you tried to capture it, and then what happens? (laughs) It dies. We kill it, and it vanishes. We think, look, I'm dancing, and then we trip. (laughs) We think, look at me, I'm walking on water, and then we start to sink. Well, anyway, what I was saying is a truly free will must be heaven. A truly free will is entirely unrestrained, unrepressed, and undetermined a truly free will is not determined by anything and determines everything so that means that the truly free will is the undetermined determiner the truly free will is the uncaused cause the truly free will is the uncreated creator in one of her books Shirley MacLaine writes about actualizing her free will one afternoon in a hotel room and then she writes this if I created my own reality I had created everything I saw, heard, touched, smelled, tasted, everything I loved, hated, revered, abhorred, everything I responded to or that responded to me, then I created everything I knew. I was therefore responsible for all there was in my reality. If that was true, then I was everything. I was my own universe. Did that mean I also had created God? a chilling wave of loneliness rippled through me. Was this what was meant by the statement, I am that I am? So, do you want free will? You might be thinking to yourself, well hey Peter, it kind of sounded like heaven for, for a bit there, and I was getting all excited. It sounded like heaven, but now it sounds kind of more like, well, sounds like we're talking about hell. Yeah. We are. Free will is truly the greatest thing that you could ever imagine. I mean that. And yet those who seize hold of free will seem to suffer the greatest bondage. You know this, it's the kings who are often the greatest slaves. And it's the slaves that are secretly kings. Think about it, in 1943, think about 1943. Out of all the people in the world, which person had a will least restrained by other people's wills, who was able to most restrain everybody else's will? Who would have that have been, 1943? Yeah, Adolf Hitler. Who would that be today? Maybe Vladimir Putin? Perhaps Donald Trump? Fortunately for Donald's soul, we have a system that limits power. Free will is power. And seizing power will make you miserable. Every mother knows this. The spoiled child is the miserable child. It's the child whose will is left unrestrained that sinks into despair. That child wills whatever they want and then loses the ability to want what they will. It's like they seize hold of the good, but the moment they seize hold of the good, the good dies and then in misery, they try again and again and again and again, trapped in a hell of their own making until someone finally breaks their will and the walls of their self-centered kingdom come tumbling down. After watching Charlotte's Web, you know that children's story? My old friend uh, Kathy was worried about her daughter, I think it was Annie, because at the end of the movie, you may remember Charlotte the spider dies giving birth to her, her babies. Her little girl looked up at that point and said, those babies were born and their mommy was dead. Do you know what that means? Kathy looked at Annie with great compassion and then Annie said this, It means that they can do whatever they want. (laughs) We understand why the idea is enticing, but what if the thing that all babies most want is their mommy? I'm just pointing out that free will is the very definition of heaven, but when we seize hold of it as if it were solely ours, it feels like hell. People that claim to possess Free will. Well, they often seem to end up in hell, but people that don't have a free will, well, they're not really even people. Maybe we're not people quite yet. Maybe we're not really persons, but just dreaming of being persons one day. The seventh day when it is finished and everything is good including us scripture says that jesus is the firstborn from the dead and he's the firstborn of all creation i think that means that you're not truly born until you die and you're not finally created until that that day paul writes awake o sleeper and rise from the dead and christ will give you give you light we're asleep in the dream of our own sovereignty. That's what we've been preaching. We're asleep in the dream of our own free will. Well, anyway, as I was saying, the ark is free will. And so, of course, everyone, especially the Nazis, want to possess the, the ark, the army that is invincible. The question is, What army can carry the ark? the Ark sucks for Nazis. That's the problem with the Ark. The Ark like has its own will, has like it's a mind of its own. It's free will. It does what it wills and wills what it does. It's absolutely free will. Steven Spielberg actually got that scene right out of the Bible. First Samuel, the Philistines capture the ark, and you remember they can't handle the ark, so they send the ark back to the Israelites. A group of Israelites, they find the ark, and what do they do? They take off the covering, they look inside uh, the ark, and all seven of them, they, they die. However, unlike the movie, the glory wasn't in the ark. The law is in the ark. The glory is on top of the ark, and the glory is alive. Second Samuel, David attempts to bring the ark into Jerusalem on a cart. You remember this. When the cart hits a bump, this guy named Uzzah, he reaches out his hand to catch the ark. He reaches out his hand to save the ark, and the ark smites him! You don't save the ark! The ark saves you! When are we going to get that through our thick heads? Well, David loves the ark, but he's terrified of the ark. And so he attempts to build a container for the ark, a a stone temple, and that makes sense. In the wilderness, God had the Israelites keep the ark in this elaborate tent that the Bible usually refers to as a tabernacle, which is just a fancy word for for tent. But the point was that it was to be mobile. That was important for the word of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh would appear in a pillar of fire on top of the ark between the cherubim, issue judgment, and give uh, Israel direction to the promised land. In other words, it was the way the truth and the life, and and yet even the Israelites couldn't endure its presence, let alone Nazis. The ark. Well, understandably, David wants to build the ark, this stone container, because a tent is just too flimsy. In 2 Samuel 7, the word of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh rebukes David for wanting to build him a stone house and declares that he had always wanted to move around with his people. But then he promises David that one day a son of David would build him a house. Of course, all the people thought that was Solomon, who built the stone temple, but it it turns out that that temple was destroyed by Babylonians in 587 B.C. Uh, About 600 years later, after it was destroyed, another son of David stood by the rebuilt temple, uh, the rebuilt stone temple, minus the ark, which had been lost when the temple was destroyed. He stood by that stone temple, and John records that he said this, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was speaking of the temple of his body. Well, the ark is absolute free will. And so far, we've spoken of what it does it judges, it directs, it can move mountains. That's what it does. But even more fascinating, I think, is what it is. Do you know what it is? A coffin. In Hebrew, Aron, which comes from ara, which means to pluck or pick. You know, like you might pluck or pick some fruit from from a tree. And that would make sense because when you pluck it, it dies. The first place that the word appears in the Bible is in the last verse of Genesis, Genesis 50, verse 26. When Joseph um, makes the children of Israel promise to put his bones in an aron one day and carry them back to the land, the land of Israel. Joseph is perhaps the most vivid and detailed picture of Jesus in all of the Old Testament. Bones of Jesus in a box. That's quite a picture. The next place Aron appears is in Exodus when God commands Moses to have Israel build an Aron, a coffin for the law. They are to build it of eights, is the Hebrew word, which can also be translated tree, wood, gallows, or by the first century, cross. They are to build it of shittim wood. Read it yourself if you think I'm making this stuff up. Shittim eights. It can also be translated a scourging tree or piercing tree. Do you suppose that the law died? What's the law? Well, isn't it the knowledge of good and evil? Maybe the good died and taking his life is the very essence of evil. Apparently at one point the good hung on a tree like, like fruit and somehow we picked it and, and it must have died. Adam, ha Adam, humanity took knowledge of good and evil and everything died. Well Moses was instructed to put the law in the ark. And then on top of the ark, he was commanded to construct this thing called an atonement seat or a a mercy seat, and on both sides of the seat, two cherubim, just like the two cherubim that guard the way to the tree of life. The mercy seat was also the throne of God, which means it was the judgment of God. The word of God and glory of God would manifest between the cherubim on top of the mercy seat and issue the judgment of God is that amazing? That means the judgment of God is the will of God. And you see the will of God is free, free. That means that God's will is stronger than your will and God's will is law covered in mercy. When James writes mercy triumphs over judgment or more literally mercy boasts over judgment he must be picturing the ark of the covenant it doesn't mean that mercy opposes judgment but that mercy is the full revelation of judgment the 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 glory is on top of the ark the coffin as if it died and rose from 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 the dead when john looks to the throne of god and sees a lamb standing as if he'd been slain he's looking at the top of the ark He's looking at the ultimate revelation of the will of God. He's looking at Jesus. Now, hold that thought. And let's review. The ark of God is the revelation of the judgment of God. The judgment of God is the will of God. The will of God is absolutely free. It's free will. Got that? It's not just furniture. It's not just furniture. So seven seals are open, seven trumpets sound, the walls of this world come tumbling down, the destroyers of the earth, they destroy the kings of this world, they become the king of our God. This is the reason that creation was subjected to futility. This is the reason that all people were consigned to disobedience. John looks and he sees the ark of God in the temple. What temple is he talking about? Us, us, us us. What is God's glory? What's the glory of God? That he makes people like, you know, like paper dolls and then burns them? Is that the glory of God? People like purple, little paper dolls and then he burns them with fire? Is it that he makes people like paper dolls and then he breathes his fire into their souls? He imparts his will to them. He gives them his free will, his judgment. He gives them free will in such a way that one day he could actually say to them, would you dance with me? And they would freely reply, oh, it is my greatest desire to dance with you forever and ever and ever, my love. That would be power that would be glory the glory of God is man fully alive wrote Irenaeus in the second century the glory of God is humanity in his own image the glory of God is his own free will at home in our souls his temple Jesus says he who conquers will sit on my throne dang That means God's will will be your will. And that means your will will be God's will. That means you will say to the mountain, hey, mountain, move, and it just moves with no problem. I know you've tried it, but the day's coming. Move, and the mountain will move. That's what it means. You will never think, I wish I was someplace else or some time else. You will create reality, and yet you will never be alone. You will will what you want and always want what you will absolutely. You will constantly choose the good in absolute freedom. That freedom is life. It will be better than anything you can even imagine right now. And this is the plan for the fullness of time. That means that you are predestined. for free will that's awesome awesome John sees the ark of God in the temple of God and God's temple is you so so how did it get there how did it get there and do we have it now and back to that question do we have free will <laughs> ask yourself okay uh, do I have free will? but but first let's let's review God's will is free God is free will. God is what he wills and he wills what he is. He's is undivided and free, he's one. The biblical word for free will is Yahweh. I am that I am, God. God is free will and he's making us in his image. I think that's the, that's the gospel, that's good news. The free will of God is also the word of God that creates all things including you. The word of God is Jesus, and Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the slaughtered lamb standing on the throne on top of the ark. Jesus is God's God's will. Jesus is free will. Now ask yourself the question. Do I have free will? If your answer is yes, then let me ask you this question. How did you get this free will? Did you conquer it? In other words, did you capture it, scourge it, and nail it to a piece of wood? If so, You must be terribly proud and lonely and dead. And actually not free at all, but only pretending to be free, only dreaming of freedom and not really knowing what the good is because you killed it. Did you capture it? If your answer was yes and you have free will, did you capture it? or did you receive it as a gift because if you did you must be terribly grateful to the one who gave you this incredible Gift and just lost in in love for him, the one who gave it, you must be fully alive and constantly at peace with all things, for you all things have become new. Anyone in Christ is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, says Paul, all things are are new. So, did you conquer it, or did it conquer you? In other words, did you conquer Jesus, (laughs) or did Jesus conquer you? you're like me, you kind of have to answer, well, to be honest, I guess both. I think I sinned and became a slave. But then once I believed God's grace, I began to be free. I conquered Jesus, and then Jesus conquered me. That's the story of me, but not only me, that's the story of all humanity. That's the story of Ha-Adam. We took his life on the tree in the garden and everything died. It was hell. That's the definition of sin. We took his life on the tree in the garden, everything died and yet he forgave his life uh, on the tree in the garden and everything lived. We received it and everything lived. It's called grace. We're saved by grace, and grace is the free will of God. We're saved by grace and created by grace, and check this out, it's all according to plan. I I think the fruit on the tree in the middle of the garden is Jesus. I mean, he is the good, God's the good, he is the good in flesh, he is the life, he said so, and he is the will of God. He is free will. So think about Adam, that first Adam. Adam was a tree in the garden. He he was free, but he was not free to choose the good because he didn't know what it was. He didn't have the knowledge of good and evil. Once he took the knowledge of the good, once he took the life of the good, oh, then he began to know evil, but he could no longer choose the good. Why? Because he was in bondage to evil. He was divided, and he had just crucified the good. On the cross, God revealed that what we took, he had always given, it was forgiven. The good is grace. The good is grace which is the free will of God. The will of God is Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead when we finally and fully believe that it is finished, we will know the good, and we will want the good, and we will manifest the good, we will be the good, it's eternal life. We will know good and evil, and we will live. In other words, we will be in the very image of God. So at the cross, check it out. God freely willed, freely willed, to surrender his good will to your bad will in order that you might surrender your bad will to his good will for all eternity. And this is the glory and power of God. God is love. Free will is love. And love is making you in his own image. Listen closely. To the degree that you are proud of love, as if you thought that you were the author of love, you are the evil dead in bondage to sin. And to the degree that you're grateful for love, as if love were the author of you, you're alive in the temple of the living God. Actually, I think, I suspect that the ark is in the temple right now. And maybe it has been all along. And so one day the last trumpet will sound and you will wake from the dream of your own sovereignty, the illusion that you are in charge of everything. The walls of your world will come tumbling down. This old tent will dissolve and blow away like dust and then you will see it. The ark is in the temple. The temple of the living God, which is you. You will see it and sometimes you can see it even here, even now. Seven. Eight, nine, you, the commandant called out the, the young Romanian woman, the 10th the woman in line. He said, you, you come you come with me. He, he ordered every 10th prisoner executed as punishment for the two women that escaped the night before. Please have, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. I have, I'm a mother, I have a child. Mary Scotso- Scotsoba stood stood next in line. In her heart, Mary heard a voice. Step forward, Mary, and say that you wish, that you want to die in her place. She replied to the inner voice. No, she's not a Christian, she's a Jewish communist. When the Nazis are overthrown, the communists come to power, they will be as bad as the Nazis. The voice said, on a day like this, I died. Not for the good ones but the bad ones, the sinners. And then Mary stepped forward and said, I want to die in her place. Later, as Mary was being led to the ovens, it's reported that she told her executioners, when God took his people out of slavery in Egypt, it is written that he went before them in a column of fire above the ark. I pray that when my body burns it would be a column of fire that shows you the way to God. Well it was and it still is. The army that carries the Ark is invincible. The kingdom of the Nazis is long gone and the kingdom of our God cannot be stopped. Mary willed what she willed, although everything, everything tried to stop her. In other words, her will was. And now her will has joined a symphony of wills, all in harmony with God's will, as one will. It's the kingdom of heaven, the great dance, and it's absolutely free. And one last thing, this important. On earth, Mary gave birth to the life of God. Mary saved the life of that young mother, but Mary is the mother of our Lord. Check out this next verse, 19. The Ark of the Covenant was seen within the temple, hail, all that stuff, next verse. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant. You understand that when we surrender to the will of God, we actually give birth to the will of God? So, Happy Mother's Day, Bride of Christ, (laughs) and Mother of the Living God. This is the will of God. He took bread and he broke it. Saying, This is my body given to you. Take and eat. And he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it. So, actually, this sermon is just super simple. (gasps) Ready? In case I lost you somewhere along the line. (laughs) This is the ark. You are the temple, this is free will, and you are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ and even his mother. (laughs) What does every mother want? What does every father want? They want a child who loves them in freedom. That's a child with free will that knows you gave them that free will. A child that loves them in freedom. This is freedom. Amen. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you, not only for what you do, but who you are. You are the free will of God and you are love in flesh, loving us constantly. Thank you, Lord God, for this glimpse of the judgment seat, the throne. When I see you, I have to confess that I think time. I think that I am responsible for you, that I'm responsible for free will. And Lord God, that's why I get proud. That's why I get jealous. That's why I compete. That's why I take things and I possess things and I have such a hard time loving my neighbor. But Lord God, I thank you for the good news that that I'm not responsible for free will, but you, free will, is responsible for me. Because Lord God, when I see that, I begin to love you and love myself and love my neighbor And I just can't wait for that day when I am finally and fully free with you and everyone in this room and an entire new creation. In Jesus' name, Lord God, we thank you. Amen. By way of benediction, let me just say that today was the introduction to the Mother's Day sermon. (laughs) <laughs> like, so you need to come back next week for the Mother's Day sermon in Revelation chapter 12. But for now, just boil everything down to this. Believe the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. And members of the prayer team are down front, and they'd love to, love to pray with you. Happy Mother's Day.